Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining me today. My guest today is coming all the way from Vancouver, British Columbia, and that is Catherine Sherlock. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you very much, Marsha. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it certainly is. And just for all of you that may not have read the blog or know what we're going to be talking today about, which is Catherine is the founder of Higher Mindfulness, and that is the focus of our show today. Before I have you tell us a little bit about yourself, because we don't live near one another, and we're having crazy weather in the States. Now, I know you're you're north of me, so I don't know quite what the weather is like on the island today, but what's, what's your weather like? like today Catherine actually we're having crazy weather we're uh, um, we've, we've got snow and that's not usual for this area so we've got we had had a lot of snow over the weekend and it means that roads are shut and things like that mm-hmm. but it's turned to rain I, and so it's slowly melting wonderful well on the west coast here in Los Angeles fortunately we're in pretty decent weather but this has been absolutely record-shattering weather across this country um, in the snow and the blizzards and the frigid weather. But we're going to be warm and cozy inside and talk about you and what it is you do, what your passion is, and what you love. And I thought we could start off by you just telling us a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, well, actually, I don't, I don't actually live in Vancouver. I live on a small island called Pender Island. It's one of the Gulf Islands. Hmm. And they run from the, the United States into Canada, um, oh. so north of Seattle. And okay. Um, okay. so th- that's why I also the roads are a little dicier here, um, <laughs> because I'm not in the city. And, um, yeah, so I ended up in, I actually have a master's in environmental studies. So I started out as an environmental consultant and did mm. that for a long time. And one of the things was that, I mean, I had to keep reinventing myself because one thing in Canada, a lot of the environmental budgets were cut back. Mm-hmm. But more than that, I was experiencing a feeling of kind of living in two worlds, uh, 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 with a foot in two worlds, one in my personal life and one in my professional life. And in my personal life was this very much this journey of kind of evolving, of growth, of self-growth and self-development. And it wasn't being brought into my professional life. And I felt this disconnect. I felt like, you know, I think people talk sometimes like they have a mask on or they're just not bringing their full selves to work. Mm-hmm. And I had that feeling. And um, and then I also started to see in the environmental sector that that what I did, I felt like what we were doing was good and powerful, and I often had, you know, powerful projects and breakthroughs, and yet it felt like a small drops in a very large bucket. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that's not enough to 
bring up around the type of transformation I want to see in the world. I don't think it's going to be there the way that I was approaching it. And as a consultant, I couldn't really open up things to the kinds of conversations, the kinds of deeper conversations that I thought would really move the bar and transform people. And so I ended up moving into um, what I call higher mindfulness because it's it's beyond mindfulness. It's taking things um, another step beyond mindfulness. Hmm. That's 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 really interesting, and I, I we use this word so much today, and I think it's frankly I love this word. But when you when you say that you want to take it beyond mindfulness, what does that what does that mean to take it beyond mindfulness? Well, I, you know, mindfulness has become almost a meaningless word um, because it is kind of it's definitely overused. I mean, everything is mindful these days. Um, I think that when you get down to what it actually is, is mindfulness is that space between um, when something happens and you and your response to it, you have that space if you stop and become conscious of it to choose how you're going to respond as opposed to responding on autopilot. I think it gets mixed up with all kinds of things like, you know, be in the present, be here now, all those kinds of things, and also because it was secularized, um, it was taught. It was taught secularized, and that was good because it made it very popular. But it also kind of disconnected it from its larger purpose, which was yes around growing awareness, but also around kind of growing consciousness. And it, in doing so, I think we've lost kind of some of the transformative juiciness of it. Interesting. That's 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 well. This is really the focus of what we're going to be talking about today: um, consciousness, and leadership, and personal growth. So, when did you begin your higher mindfulness? When you, I know you're the founder. When did that actually start for you? I I can't really. It was there was no concrete. It's been start. It was more of a transition. Um, as I moved, as I moved away from, or I moved toward things I thought would work better, and things I thought would be more transformative, for me this started. This journey started as a child. Um, it's mm-hmm. as far back as I remember, actually. I mean, a lot of people have a moment of, you know, when something happened and it changed them personally and put them on the self-development path. I wasn't like that. I don't remember a time not being on that path. From with a time I didn't even have words for it exactly, and why that is or how that is, I'm not sure. But um, it's just always been a, a, a really central part of me. So in a lot of ways, it you know I think it's just becoming um, more fully integrated in myself to bring these two areas of work and my life together. That's so interesting, and you're right. I've had a lot of people that have talked about how they've reached a certain state of where they are, whether it's something that they wrote in diaries for years and years or perhaps they had some trauma as a child or a young adult that, you know, pivoted them towards something else. But you but you knew at a very young age that you were in this journey. Did did others around did you were you aware you were on this journey or was it just it is what it is and that's who you were. You didn't really categorize it. 
No, I knew it. I was aware of kind of being on a journey of growth. I mean, I don't know what words I would have used. I didn't actually talk about it. And strangely enough, I thought we were not supposed to talk about it. I don't know why I had that conclusion. Maybe because nobody really talked about it. It seemed like what was going on inside of me and what was going on in the outer world did not match up. Hmm. And so I I just didn't talk about it. And, um, you know, it wasn't actually until... Uh, a boyfriend years years later mm-hmm. um as a in university and he he turned to me and he said you know other people aren't like you <laughs> and i said what <laughs> and it was like this it was like this moment of crashing down for me because i i hadn't realized it but i was sort of waiting for the time when we would all start talking talking about it <laughs> mm-hmm. it was one of those unconscious things you do as a child where you just sort of put your heart away and you wait for the time when everybody's going to start talking about what's really going on. <laughs> That's, did you ever write about it in school? I mean, you didn't. I I never thought about. It. I had I had such a, you know I, you know I had um, a lot of skills and a lot of things happening. Um, very much empathetic, em- empathic. Very much able to read emotions. Very much able to. Um, tune into different energies and all kinds of things. And I didn't understand, you know, I struggled with it because I didn't understand what was happening much of the time. And I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I never spoke about it. Um, so Did that it was make a you lot feel a little lonely, Catherine? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it, yeah, for sure. Um, because I think that's, you know, that was what was happening at the heart of me. And there right. wasn't any place around to share it. I think that happens for a lot of people. You know, yeah. and even the confusion around, you know, being an empath and and I mean, we have such issues with boundaries and um those kinds of things or or experiences, you know, spiritual experiences or energy, you know, being able to read energy or have energy experiences and not understand um, what's going on, or that you're not crazy, or that you know all that. <laughs> I think wow. it's something that we need to talk about more because we do get isolated in it. And yet, yes, it, I think yet sometimes that, yeah. it's it's hard to talk about it because it sometimes it can take the essence away from it too when you talk about it. Hmm. So I think that's the other reason why people keep these things private is we don't have the vocabulary for it. And we don't always have the sacred space for it, the safe space for it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so many people measure their words by that meaning. Um, I used to always hear my dad say, "Think before you speak, or engage your gears before you engage your mouth." You know, I, I grew up hearing that, and and so those those messages come forward whether you're a an eight-year-old or a 70-year-old, and uh, I didn't really um, take that message to heart, really, because I think I have always engaged my gears before I've engaged my mouth, and so it's really interesting when you start a journey, like you've just said, and you're sort of looking to your left, and you're looking to your right, and you're going, dang, who's on the path here with me, and then you went, oh, I'm on the path here with me. That's 
that's the kind of the consciousness I think you're describing. So when you sort of started your website, which is I'm going to just tell people that they can find you by your last name, which is Sherlock, S-H-E-R-L-O-C-K, I-N-K, like Inc., dot com, people can see your website and the different services that you offer. So when did you, when did your website begin? When did this whole home, you know, service of higher mindfulness, what year was that that you started this? Like I said, it's been a transition of changing, uh, of changing, changing offerings and changing services. Mm-hmm. So I can't really point to a time when it started. Okay. People can actually right. find it by by HigherMindfulness.com. It it redirects you to the other, but they can find it through HigherMindfulness.com. So it was kind okay. of a slow transition okay. of of offering. You know, as I started to move out of um, the consulting, or I, I moved into actually consulting with corporations around sustainability. But then I moved back in with nonprofits and helped them around communications. But it was more. You know, it was be- it was the beginnings of having more of a mindfulness, being able to have deeper conversations around it, and and so it's been this transition of of movement into it. Right, Not like and I see what you were, I see what you're saying. You know, actually, I I got to what I just said there, SherlockInc.com. I did get there through HigherMindfulness.com. It does it was it does redirect you. So do you would you say that you have if I was to say, do you have a mission statement? Do you have a mission statement that you would say, you know, here's our mission, here's our goal? My larger mission is to um, is leadership from the inside out, is to move us from the inside out. So I know how I struggled internally and how most people struggle internally. And my mission is to empower people to not not only struggle less internally to kind of come home to themselves but also to be able to tap more of their wisdom and their consciousness to be able to grow their consciousness and their wisdom and be able to access those things and to live just in a more joyful place that makes a lot of sense to me I, you know, you had mentioned that um, mindfulness, you know, it really is, um, it's used a lot. It, there's a lot of words right now that are used a lot, and depending upon who uses the word, could mean an entirely different definition. And I'm a words person, and and I and I jokingly say, you know, I can remember before all this pandemic that a Zoom to me was something that you did with a camera lens. And now it's something that we look like the little Brady Bunch from the Brady Bunch when we're all in little squares. But because we are so somewhat isolated for the majority of us, you know, the Zooming is just the next best thing to being there. Sounds like a perfect Hallmark card, Zooming, the next best thing to being there, uh, because it because it is. And I, I, I appreciate that the technology is there, and depending upon, you know, people's technical abilities um, makes a difference on whether or not they're even able to, to tap into that, much like the word pivot. You know, I'm a sports fan, pivot to me was always a basketball term, and now it's what we use to describe how we make a change, which I think is pretty interesting. So um, when you talk about leadership, 
can you can you just tell us why you think that leadership development is broken currently? What what what? How do you define that? Yeah, I, I think it's it's the approach. The the common approach to it is kind of an outside in approach. So I mean, everybody. I think almost everybody has read an article or many on, you know, the top. These are the top char- must have characteristics or attributes of a leader. And there'll be anything from seven to I, I once read one that was 101. <laughs> oh my gosh. Attributes. And of course, it's an outside. It's it's somebody who goes out. They do a little bit of research or however they come up with this list. They have their own list, and then they come and they say, "This is the must-have list of characteristics that you you know that you need to have as, as a leader." And if you, I, I got really curious one day, and I started looking at all these lists. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have anything in common, except communication. I have to say, communication was the one thing. But other than that, they didn't have anything in common. So here are people, it, and it's called trait theory. So it's trait theory. You decide that there are these must-have traits that leaders need to have. And you go in, and you work with leaders. You maybe work with an executive team or leaders, and you say, okay, here are the, here are the traits. Now you adopt these. The problem is it's, it's an outside-in approach. And it's very artificial. Um, it, it really leaves people feeling um, inauthentic and disconnected from themselves. And, you know, it, it also often leaves people feeling, leaders feeling like they're failing because it's like you've got this list up of characteristics that you're never going to match up to. Hmm. And so I think that the, that the, the, the better approach is to flip that and move from the inside out. So that you actually come into your own strengths as a leader. You actually, you're not going to be the leader that anybody else is. You're going to be the leader that you're meant to be. If you develop from the inside out, and coming into those strengths, and coming really to be increasingly comfortable in your, in your own skin, increasingly feeling authentic, and connected to self. So that's where I, I think the shift has to happen in leadership development. You know, it's 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 so interesting. Um, there's there's all these assessments that leaders are given when they're maybe thinking about making a job change, or they're already in a curtain current position, and now maybe they want to have a promotion, and so they they put you through these tests to see where you score right which is what you're saying from the from the outs from the outside in instead of from the inside out by really developing what it sounds like what you're saying a keen understanding of who you are do you know who you are and then what can what you know about yourself what can you bring to this organization is that do I have that correct yeah, I think there are two parts, but I mean, I think those those kinds of tests that you're talk, talking about, they actually drive me a bit snaky. Um, uh-huh. I just don't, I, I think that they just miss the point. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. want to be categorized as a QRLX or whatever it is, right? It's just like, right. that doesn't right. really, I don't think that really helps people see one another. But if I'm if I'm a leader, I've got two things going on. And, and the other thing is, you go through all that development training, and it may not actually help you deal with what you're struggling with on a daily basis, right? You're so busy coming up with humility or whatever the list is on the list 
of that person's list. Mm-hmm. And it may not actually, actually, I mean, you can do all that development and never actually have help with what you're what the challenges that you're addressing on a daily basis as a leader. So instead, I think that's a place to start. I think looking at what your challenges are and then also mm-hmm. looking at what your aspirations are as a leader. Because you don't, I mean, you you definitely want to make it practical and, and deal with what you're actually up against as a leader. But you also want to um, kind of link into your aspirations because our aspirations lift us up in a way that take us beyond some of our challenges with with in a way that's not around willpower. I think one of the things about um, old development, leadership development and trait theory, is it's also based on willpower. And we know that we have a limited amount of willpower every day. I'm not a big believer on basing our growth and development on willpower. I'm a big believer in changing our consciousness and allowing things to flow out of us. And removing obstacles and removing, you know, limiting beliefs or limiting ideas and allowing the shift to happen that way naturally as opposed to us having to constantly be pulling up our boots and, you know, getting on with it. That's that's so interesting. So when you talk about changing consciousness, about removing obstacles, do you, do you, would you start, if, let's say I was your client, my company was your client, um, would you be asking me what what are some of the obstacles, Marsha, in being a podcaster? Would, is that is that is, would you would you start that conversation that way with with somebody that that had a business, whether it's a big business, a small business, or whatever, or just a personal obstacle in your life? Is that where you would start by having having your client? Um, um, speak what they think is an obstacle? Yeah, for sure. I mean, normally when somebody seeks help, they seek help because there's a problem there, right? Because there's something... They seek help for two reasons. One is because there's some kind of problem, and two is because they want something more. They want... They have aspirations for something more. Um, but that in itself is is an issue, right? That means that you're you're not feeling as... As you feel like there's something more that you can't quite grasp onto, or you're feeling not as engaged or pa- as passionate as you'd like, or mm-hmm. you know those kinds of things. So starting there, starting wherever the person's at, whatever is going on for them, that's where we start. That's where I start with people, and then we just I, then I can show them from whatever is going on to them with them. I can show them the linkages to larger larger. Um, tools and larger gains and things like that, so that we make gains that were in places in their lives where they didn't even realize it was possible. That's so great. I, that, I I like that. And do you have a do you have a large team of people that work with you? No, I'm a solopreneur. You are a sole entrepreneur. Wow, good for you. Well, that means that you don't have to answer to anybody, and nobody's answering to you. Oh. <laughs> But, you know, there's something to be said for that too. I guess that's kind of what I, what, where I sit in my life as well. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a team of one, with a little bit of help along the side from some, some technical support that, that we all can use. But I'm sort of, you know, walking this pathway myself and developing my own set of consciousness. 
when you when you talk about elevating leadership and the conversation around elevating the leadership conversation, what do you mean by that? Um, you know, I think in our lives, this kind of comes back to where I started from in my life, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think too, all too often we are living these very busy lives where the stuff that's most important to us gets put on the back burner of our lives. And we think, oh, you know, when I when I accomplish this next thing, I'll, I'll look at that or I'll, I'll put my focus on that. And it tends to never happen. And I think that it's it's really important as leaders, and, and I'm talking kind of a next-level leaders. I'm not talking the average leader, but a next-level leader who wants to um, really reach a higher level of leadership is making sure that you're in a bigger conversation. And so... We learned from purpose, from bringing the idea of purpose into the corporate sector, that purpose has uh, purpose really elevates our conversation when we start to have purpose, um, and it solves it solves a lot of the issues around motivation, around engagement, around happiness that would have taken a lot of energy to were well, it was taking a lot of energy to solve, mm-hmm. um, and then but, but then. We incorporated the the idea of purpose, and that solved a lot of the issues. I think we can take that conversation even larger um, by incorporating some of the bigger questions about life, about why we're here, and what's the you know this mystery of life and this awe of life, and just by starting to incorporate that in our conversations, the same way we did in purpose. It's kind of like elevating purpose. Um, that we can begin to bring solutions that weren't weren't available before. Um, so I think it's really important as a leader and somebody who's in charge of kind of the bigger vision for companies and for organizations is to make sure you you are putting yourself in a bigger conversation every day. That's that's interesting. Um, I'm I'm relating. Um, Basically, I was one of those um, stay-at-home moms, so I wasn't in the corporate world or the working world once I got married and started my family. And then once my children were off to college, I got a job at our local YMCA. And prior to that, um, Catherine, I was a leader as a volunteer in my community in those areas that I belonged to. And when we when I got the job at the Y and then I worked my way up um, in positions there, there was something that was really interesting to me that has never left me, much like I talk about my three C's of conversations plus connections equals community. They have what they call the three P's, like Paul, purpose, process, payoff. And... That was that was the the mindset back there in the I was what was in nineteen ninety five when I started working for the Ys. What was the purpose of the organization? What was the process of the organization? 
and ultimately what was the payoff. And that didn't mean necessarily for the organization. It could have also meant for the member as well. So I, in some ways I kind of am relating that to what you're saying because YMCA is a, locally an organization, but it's large. It's part of a larger organization, which is part of a, you know, a, a national organization and part of an international organization. So I, I do think that that's interesting because that was my real first experience in the business wor world working with leaders, and some are better than others. Uh, when you when you talk about consciousness. Why do you think it's so important that we – I mean, maybe maybe before I even ask you that, because I think words are so significant. So I, I would like to get some definitions from you. When you talk about consciousness, what, how, do you, how do you define that? Well, that's probably a good question, and I'm not sure I have an answer. Um, but I, I think it's – you know, it's, it's – you know, it, for example, in – in the workplace, we often talk about mindset. And I think mindset is a limited idea. I think consciousness is larger than mindset. Consciousness includes things like emotions and, um, you know, a, a larger integration of coming into a more coherence as, as a being. Um, so I, I think consciousness has that larger concept. And that's think it's almost something that it's hard to talk about. We don't have a real definition of consciousness. There are there are a number of them out there, but not not mm -hmm. an agreed on definition. Yet I think it's about um really tapping into more of our potential as humans. More of what we're capable of and beginning to question a lot of, you know, the kind of status quo ideas. You know, like leadership development, like how it's done, those kinds of things. Um, and a lot of the belief systems, a lot of the beliefs around what it means to be a leader. So when I talk about the connection between leadership and consciousness, I actually use a metaphor usually, and it's a, it's a metaphor of a high-rise building. Um, so if you picture a high-rise building in in a city in the summer, like a city like New York, where it's busy and, you know, the garbage is out and it's smelly, and if you're on the first floor... You are in the midst of all that. You're in the midst of all the, you know, the smells because the garbage hasn't been picked up yet, and the traffic and the, you know, the chaos, air pollution, chaos. and the chaos, all the all the noise going by and all that, right? And as you move up in that building, and each floor, you gain perspective. You can see further around you. You the air quality changes as you move up. It becomes quieter. Um. And as you move up toward, say, the penthouse or, you know, uh, higher, uh, mm -hmm. higher floors, you can see that there are rivers or, you know, um, vegetation, parks around you, all those things, things that you couldn't, you didn't know, couldn't be aware of on the first floor. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden as you move up in consciousness, you also gain new choice points and new possibilities, things that you couldn't even think about or see from those lower floors. Hmm. And you didn't even you, know they were there. You didn't even know they were there. You didn't even know those things were possible. You just Your, your mind could not have um, seen them, couldn't have imagined them. 
and you have you 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 retain all that information of the lower floors. I mean, you can always go back down into the chaos and experience it again, but you have a different capacity for thought, a different capacity for creativity, for you know innovation, for all those kinds of things. And that's why I think that. I mean, it's not an easy idea to talk about consciousness and consciousness leadership, and yet I think it's. I think it's really important. It's a really important conversation to be having. That's a. I I learn really well from visualization. That's just my style of learning, and it was really the the metaphor that you used is is so easy um, to picture. I, you know, I I can relate it to the fact that I to myself. I live in a two story home. And this morning at, I don't know what time it was, maybe 6.15 in the morning, and I'm looking out my office window, the sky was lit on fire with the most magnificent colors. It was just, it was a spectacular look as I faced east. When I came downstairs and I looked out my living room window, I couldn't see that. And I thought, wow, how fortunate and grateful am I to have been able to see this from that vantage point. And it's it's almost identical to what you're saying um, when you're, and it's 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 all part of your own perspective. It doesn't make one better than the other. There's no judgment there. It's just that you're seeing things from the vantage point of what you're seeing. And I think that that's, that was a beautiful way of, of explaining that that helped me to understand um, exactly what you were saying. So when you talk about helping people and teaching people to transform their relationships to themselves, what are you finding that's keeping people stuck in their own old way of doing things? How 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 do you help them get unstuck? You know, I, I think one of the largest places is around our emotions. Well, actually, two places, I guess, around our emotions and around our relationship to self, and they're very much related. So we have not been taught a lot about emotions, um, even though they are they have such a profound effect in our lives. They affect everything in our lives. Instead, we're kind of taught that we should, you know, kind of be in control of them and have mastery over them. We're taught to approach them. We're taught to be left-brain dominant, basically. We're taught that our, you know, our rational left brain should be in charge and in control, and it keeps people stuck and struggling. It keeps people in battles inside themselves. And we have to change that perspective. First of all, it also keeps us um, in a very limited, like it's not whole brain thinking. It keeps us very limited in the way we're able to think and use our brains and use our minds and tap into consciousness and tap into our wisdom. So I think that's probably the main I think those those are the, the the emotions and the left brain dominance, and really treating ourselves as um, enemies. We're kind of been taught to t- treat ourselves as enemies. So changing that relationship to self, 
um, learning to no longer fear emotions so that we can actually process them and digest them and understand that they have this kernel of wisdom at their core. They're coming up for a reason. Um, but most of us haven't processed our emotions, so we have this backlog, we have this baggage that we're carrying everywhere with us. And it's costing us so much in t- terms of energy, in terms of time, and in terms of a, a kind of a low life satisfaction. Uh, it's costing our creativity, our innovation, because it takes up so much energy and because that constant battling against the self is just exhausting. So if you were in a classroom with, say, 10 third graders, do you do you think that it would be... Um, advantageous for teachers to be talking about emotions in the classroom? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We definitely, we, you know, I've never met anybody who doesn't need to learn more about their emotions and doesn't need to change their relationship with emotions because mm-hmm. the, the, the one that we have set, our, set up for ourselves is one where we're battling them, is one where we've made them the bad guys. And so instead, so we've taken these difficult emotions and painful emotions and we've turned them into the bad guys instead of understanding how do we actually um, not fear them? How do we actually move to a place where we no longer fear them? Because what we've done is we've given our power away and we we have to learn to take it back. So to not fear um, jealousy, for example, Jealousy is a really good one to talk about. It's a little bit easier than than anger. Okay. Um, okay. You know, me, people are taught to that jealousy and envy are bad things. They're taught to fear them. They're taught that it's the green-eyed monster when they come up. And so as soon as you feel that emotion, you're, you're like shutting yourself off. You feel like a bad person. You cannot move into consciousness when you're feeling like a bad person every time you have a bad emotion or what's called a bad emotion. Mm. You're actually shutting down. You're shutting. You're disconnecting from yourself. So instead, if if you see jealousy and envy as not something bad, but as a very just a natural emotion that has something to tell you, so when you feel that you feel jealousy, it's telling you that you want something more. So maybe you're jealous the person next door gets a new car or. Uh, you know, uh, somebody gets a promotion or whatever, and you feel jealous of it. Mm-hmm. All that's happening is there's some part of you that's saying, hey, I want that too. And if you take the time and explore what it's actually saying to you as opposed to shutting it down, the, uh, when we shut it down, that's when we actually lash out. We When we shut down emotions, when we shut down jealousy, it turns into... Um, us finding something wrong with the person. Oh. So we actually, it's an unconscious thing that happens is we shut down our jealousy and instead, because we still have this bad feeling, we turn it into, we turn it on to the person and we turn it, we make them bad and we somehow find a way to tear them down. Hmm. That's an unconscious process. But when you do it consciously and you look and you say, okay, yeah, I feel this jealousy, what's it about? And maybe the person's got a new car, and you think, oh, I'd like a new car. But then you you explore a little bit more, and you realize 
yeah, you know, it's actually not actually the car I really care about. It's such and such. And it's going to become something, it's going to be something deeper within you, something more purpose-related when you take the time to explore it. And then it becomes something powerful in your life as opposed to something disempowering. So let's just let's just take the the jealousy you were using that as a good example, and somebody is envious or jealous of somebody's somebody's car, like you said, or somebody's you know I'm trying to think what I would be jealous of because um, I don't usually sit over there. Um, I can use this as an example for myself. I'm sometimes really jealous of how quickly people learn technology and how simple and um, it just seems intuitive that, you know, that this is where you click this button and this is where you click that button. And, you know, it's just so simple for me, that person. And it's like, well, dang, it's really simple for you that that seems so obvious, but obviously I'm just not that smart. You're smarter than me. I can't figure this out. Now I just want to be rescued. Now I just want to give up. But I think what you're saying is you could redirect that thought and say that's really cool that that person understands all of that. And with some effort, I bet I can too. Yeah, that's not actually that see that's the mental approach. What I would say is oh. <laughs> to actually feel the feeling of that jealousy or to feel it's kind of a painful thing at first and and when you do it at first it is painful that's why people that's why we go to such lengths to avoid our emotions i mean they're the basis of addictions they're the basis of divorce they're the basis of we 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 struggle with these things because they are painful but when we actually learn to feel them not to mentally change that but just to feel the emotion that's okay. when you're going through it. That's when you're actually moving through the emotion as opposed to around it. That's when you're, it's like not managing it anymore, but actually becoming integrated. So, oh, that, so what I just did with you in my thought process is exactly what you're looking to help, what I would use the term, redirect the thought and just feel it. If the if and use feeling words like wow this is this is hard yeah and just and, and, and it's going to be hard at first because we don't have the skill set to do it and then as you do it it's not so hard anymore and then as you do it you're not struggling against them anymore hmm. you just you you learn just to be there and they become you know a lot of what makes emotions painful is because we are struggling against them so much. And that keeps them just going and going and going. Hmm. And learning to come to a place where you actually feel and experience and get the information from them. That's very different. And that there are not a lot of people doing that. No, well, I don't think most of us know how. Do you yeah. do you tell do you tell people do you help people maybe do you recommend journaling do you recommend writing do you recommend speaking to the mirror do you what are some of the recommendations you say when you're trying to get people to tap into their feelings um I, you know there's a there's a whole process for that because i deal with mm. all those kinds of things and accessing the subconscious and i have so many tools 
So that's not a easy not an easy answer. Is it on your website? And I don't really talk about it so much on you know when I'm talking in this way because a lot of what I do is actually experiential. So if okay. you, and if I talked about it, your left brain would go, "Well, that's stupid. That'll never work." <laughs> because it has to be. It's kind of like the emotions. You have to have the experience of doing it. It's kind of like trying to explain some what meditation is like to someone. It's like right. well, that sounds like the dumbest thing ever, <laughs> right? But it's the experience of doing it, and so. It's the experience of a lot of when, I, when I'm working with people, it's very experiential. It's it's we don't just sit and talk. We actually mm-hmm. we actually move into different brain states, or we move into different states of consciousness, or whatever, um, to to look at things, to experience things, and that's what I think makes it um, makes it change you, makes it transformative. Is because you know, we're not just talking about it. Right, and you you said something that just then that was another term that I haven't you heard before or know the definition for. You mentioned the word brain states. What you say is um, is is um, your your approach to meditation is quite different because you want to connect to the idea of brain states. But honestly, I don't know what brain states even means. So we have these different. We have different brain states um, that are useful for different the different things we're doing. So um, let's go with the four easy ones. There's there's beta, alpha, theta, and delta. Okay, delta is our brain state when we're asleep. So it's very much a state of rest and recovery. We need to sleep because our nervous system needs to recover, including our brains. And then at the other side of that is beta. And beta is our awake alert state. It's the state that you're using when you're um, doing a task, getting something done. Um, but you, you don't want to stay in that state all the time because it's, it's, uh, it's, it takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when you're in beta, you actually are a little bit cut off from other forms of knowledge. Right now... Our technology is kind of pushing us to stay in that that beta state. Um, I think it's the reason why uh, levels of depression are going up and things like that, um, because you just don't have recovery time. Um, so and so it's kind of the place where the kind of in the present and mindfulness can also get messed up is this idea people are trying to be in the present all the time so hard, they're concentrating on it so hard that they're actually putting themselves into beta state. And you're not getting the rest and recovery time. So when you are when you slow down from beta state, you go into alpha. Mm-hmm. Alpha is a little more relaxed. And you have access to more of your subconscious in that state, more of your unconscious information. Um, and then a little bit deeper than that is theta, and then you go into delta. It gets a little bit more complicated, but we'll just leave it like that. So, so okay. learning okay. to move, instead of just being in meditation or just doing a meditation, understanding the brain state and where you want to go. Um, like a lot of people, in mindfulness, the, the meditation that's most often taught is meditation on the breath. Meditation mm-hmm. on the breath takes you usually into alpha. So it slows you down from beta into alpha. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But for me, I prefer to uh, a meditation that takes me into theta, a deeper a deeper meditation. For me, that's, hmm. for example, the place where I come out and I feel like my brain has had a shower. I feel like my creativity has opened up. I call it kind of the genius state. So talking about that and realizing that not all meditations are the same, that there are very, very many, many different kinds of meditations out there, that you don't get all the benefits. You know, the one thing that's happened with media is they talk about the benefits of meditation, but they're actually taking all these different styles of meditation that have been, you know, looked at in research, and they're, there's, there's, they're kind of lumping them all together, and you don't get all those benefits. So you want to say, well, what actually do I want out of this meditation? What do I want in terms of growing my consciousness, for example? That's a bigger question. Um, and then actually choosing a practice that suits that. For example, meditation on the breath is um, a convergent practice. And convergent means that you're kind of bringing your focus back to one point. Um, it's not a good meditation if you're looking for creativity or innovation. Mm-hmm. That's not the best practice. You want a different kind of practice. You want a divergent practice. So by understanding these kind of deeper levels of consciousness, these deeper levels of how our brains work, of all these factors, you can create a more empowering practice for yourself. That's so so I, start, yeah. I, I start. I say start. Don't just pick up a meditation. I mean, I talk to so many leaders who just start meditating because well, I kind of heard that there were lots of benefits to it, and it becomes like another task for their, in their day. They don't really feel connected to it. It's like, no, start with what are your goals? What are your life goals? What are your consciousness goals? You know, what is it that you want to aspire? What are your challenges you want to overcome? And then design the practice for you. That's really, that, that's you know, it's really interesting because I had mentioned that I do do yoga and it is about absolutely what you just said about breath work for me speaking just for myself that's precisely what i'm looking for in my practice i'm for me i i need to calm down and so when you you talk about that relaxed state of you know just calming down and being more relaxed and letting the breath lead the way and getting those shoulders not up as earlobes and just calming down, I find that, for me, extremely helpful. And perhaps without without even realizing it, once I do get myself to that calm-down state, I guess I really do recognize, if I thought about it when my yoga practice is over, that I actually have renewed energy because I've allowed myself to just step outside of what's rotating around my brain and all these things and do this, do that, do this, do that, do that, you know, and just like stop judging and just take a deep breath. For, for me, that that's what I have um, um, taken from that kind of meditation for Marsha. But I think that we all have to take our own path, just as you said, and you're working with a lot of leaders that are that are having a lot on their shoulders, much more than I have on mine. And they're not just managing what's going on in their body, but they're managing a corporation or a company or whatever it is that they're managing where other people are dependent on what they do. And so I can see where these um, 
brain states um, are very interesting. I had I had never heard of that before, so I, I really appreciate you you sharing that with us. You you've given us so so much. Did you want to add to that? Because I would like to hear what you said about what I just said. Well, I was just going to say that yeah, that that um, see for me, it's not just about calming down. For me, it's about my growth. Right, mm-hmm. so I'm looking for meditation and practices and understanding brain states and consciousness because I want to I want to grow myself. I want to grow my consciousness. I want to elevate it and expand it. I want to be able to access more intuition and more wisdom. I want my mental clarity to be better. I want my coherence as a person, as a consciousness to be um, to continue to grow and to become more integrated. So those are the kinds of things that I'm looking for when I mm-hmm. approach those meditation. And not just meditation, but also, you know, this meditation and healing are very, very similar states. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, it. it I let me ask you this, because... I, I, you've, you've really given us a lot to think about. I'm taking notes. I can't read my handwriting, so we'll have to talk about this off the air so I can make sure I've got this straight. But um, I, I think that that's the beauty of a podcast, however, because people that are listening can actually start and re- and and back it up and say, "What did she say? What were those? You know, beta, alpha, theta, delta." Okay, all right. So there we have it. Um, you know, I think that that. That's the beauty of a podcast, and it is it is um, is recorded for people to go back and do. But um, if you were going to just say to somebody, if you get just one thing out of this whole conversation that we've had today, what would you say that you would want the listener to say? Okay, I get it. I'm going to take that away from listening to Catherine today. What what would you? I know that's really hard because you've given so many great tips. But what would you say that might be? You know, I I do think it's the relationship to emotions. I think that that is our new frontier. I mean, I think our inner world is our is our new frontier, and emotions are what will jump you forward on that journey, give you a quantum jump on that journey, to really change your relationship to your to your emotions. And when you do that as a leader, uh, that opens up space for all the people around you to do it. So it's mm-hmm. it's transformative for your organization. Yeah, I can see that. And it that. opens up things like you know, it's it's also the opening to things like creativity and innovation and greater purpose and life satisfaction. All those come are, are connected. All those intrinsic things are connected to, you know, motivation, passion. All that is connected to emotions. So the more we empower ourselves around our emotions, the more we begin to learn what has not been taught to our, to our, to our, not been taught to us. And the more we begin to use our brains differently, not from a left brain dominant place, but from a whole brain thinking, and we begin to value that. I mean, it's all, it's already, it's things like innovation and creativity are very much valued now in the corporate world. But mm-hmm. we haven't really moved toward whole brain thinking. We don't know how to access them necessarily. So learning how that, you know, flow works and all those kinds of things. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it starts with emotions. Well, I think it's terrific, and I, I want to once once again mention mention that high mindfulness. I'm sorry, higher mindfulness is a way that people can can get connected to you. That I that they can learn more from you, and in just this last couple of minutes together before we bid each other adieu. I'm just curious because I am interested in people, not only what what you do professionally, but sometimes I'm really just interested in knowing about people on a personal note. So when you're not working, what do you like to do for fun? Well, I'm I'm hoping that um, <laughs> there's been might have there's been a bit of noise in the background, and I foster kittens. I I, I foster kittens, and unfortunately, a couple of them have gone a little bit crazy during this. <laughs> I can't period. hear them. <laughs> oh, that's thank goodness, because they were just yes. going crazy. So no. normally I foster no. feral kittens. They're, they come out of the wild, um, mm-hmm. and I have to socialize them so they can go into good forever homes. Um, mm. So we trap them so that they, uh, well, I live on an island, so there's a kitten problem here for sure. Um, mm-hmm. These come, these two have come from a little bit further away, and they're not totally feral. So that's one thing I do is I've been, I I socialize kittens, <laughs> And tra- train them and, them, and so I'm I'm quite good with animals. Um, I actually can, um, so I teach them, you know, their names. They know their names. They know to come and they know to sit. And uh, you know, they, I can teach about twenty different things. Um, wow. So those kinds of things, and and uh, I mm-hmm. also love nature, and so I have a really strong connection to nature. Um, and I love being in shape and having my my body my physical body feeling good and feeling mm-hmm. at the top of the game so i really work around that you know i make sure that i work out and i make sure i'm doing things like that um i eat probably nothing like the normal person actually um i i was diagnosed with hypothyroid years back mm-hmm. i was on medication for 15 years mm-hmm. and um i'm no longer on medication I've done it all naturally through natural healing and continue to make my body stronger and healthier. So Wow. Wow, that's that's that you're you're speaking the language. I that honestly everything that you've just said makes total sense to who you are authentically. Um the fact that you love nature, I can understand. You live in a I I don't know. Well, I don't have any idea what the population is where you live. In Penderline. Penderline, it's a, it's a couple thousand, I guess. Twenty five hundred, wow. actually, if you if, if you can include both islands. Okay, so it's, and it's Penderline. It's like P E N D E R L I N E. No, Pender Pender Island. Oh, I'm sorry, not Penderline. Pender Island. Okay. Pender Island. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying it too fast. Okay. Pender. No, that's Pender. okay. It's cause only because I'm not familiar with it. So that means that everything that's brought to you is is brought via ship, right? Or you have to leave the island to go get what your provisions are, or do you just grow all your own vegetables and herbs? And um, no, we have some farms here, but and they, they there's a farmers market in the summertime, but in the winter everything's well st- things are still brought over. So we have ferries that go back and forth. I see. Um, in the states, there are the San Juan Islands, and the and Pender Island is the just north of the San Juan Islands. It's the same group of islands coming into Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those of us that live in big cities, like myself, you know, that have a 
probably the second or third largest international airport in the world that's, you know, less than 10 minutes from my house. Um, I, you know, I live in a, in a, I live in a small community within the big city of Los Angeles, so it's hard to uh, sort of imagine the, the solitude and the quietness, but I'm visualizing, you mentioned you love nature, and I, I mentioned what that sky looked like for me this morning, but just as beautiful is the sunrise are the sunsets and then gazing up into the sky and seeing the moon look like a little happy face last night and looking at Mars and looking at Saturn and looking at Venus and you must have I mean you must have a beautiful night sky where you live. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's also a very active community. So I do a lot of things that I probably never would have got a, gone around to. Like I started playing the ukulele 2 years ago. Oh, no um, kidding. Yeah, and that was because of a local strum-along group. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't know I'd be picking that up. And mm. now here I am, a ukulele player. So, yeah, there's a, it's a very active, um, engaged community. There's mm-hmm. a lot going on. Not right now so much <laughs> because we're all yeah. in lockdown. But <laughs> well, I was, was going to ask you that. I, I mean, I, 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 I know we're at the top of the hour, but I am curious to know, um, is it, part of the practice where you're living that everyone is walking around masked and living under those kind of conditions? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, the community here, the, the businesses here got on board very quickly, I think much uh-huh. much more quickly uh-huh. than many of the large cities. Mm-hmm. Um, they got things up and running. Um, they continued to find ways to continue to sell and function. Um, for a while, there were stores. Actually, I think there's still one we can't go into. Um, but, you know, for a while there were a few stores going to that they would bring the stuff out to you. I um, see. Or we have, you know, a lineup. There's a limited number of people allowed into the right. the, the, the stores kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're expected to wear masks um, and to mm-hmm. cleanse your hands when you come in the door and things like that. Right. So I think it's a very respectful community that way. Um, mm-hmm. So it hasn't been. Are the, vaccines, are the vaccines making it your way? Yeah, the vaccines are making it, making the way into Canada. Okay, good. Well, it's always nice to talk to somebody that that's lifestyle is different than my own, but I think the great takeaway is just how you describe what consciousness is to you and how then you work with people to help them elevate their own consciousness. And I, I've learned a great deal from you today, Catherine, and I, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to share that that knowledge with my listeners. Or, or let's just call it our listeners. Let me not make it a singular sound because people are listening to both of us. And I'm just really grateful that you have taken the time to do this with me today. Well, thank you, Marcia. It was a pleasure talking with you. Really. So, everyone, I'm going to um, let Catherine get on with her day, let you do the same. I, once again, thank all of you for listening every week and, and being a supporter of the Born to Talk radio show. I'm so very grateful. And we'll see. Maybe we'll talk to Catherine, you know, towards the end of the year and see how things are shifting because there, there seems to be a shift in a lot of places. But if if we understand how we can get in touch with our emotions, that might be the greatest shift today for all of us. So thank you once again for joining us. I will bid you farewell, and thanks once again. Bye for now. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you.